Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. 16, 7 through 9. That'll be our main text this morning. But before we get to the Word of God, when I say the name Alexander Hamilton, what comes to mind? Some might think of him as being one of our country's founding fathers. Others, you might think of the guy whose face is on the $10 bill. Younger generation, you might just think of the musical, which is titled Hamilton, which was about his life. Regardless, Hamilton... He was an immigrant and an orphan, and he came to America in the 18th century. Hamilton came from nothing, but because of his intelligence and his unmatched work ethic, he quickly rose to prominence. Hamilton is known for creating our country's financial system, the Federalist Party, the Coast Guard, and the New York Post. His contributions no doubt shaped our country. And from the outside looking in, it seemed like Hamilton had it all a wonderful wife, great kids, a brilliant mind, a promising career in politics, so much so that many historians believe that he was poised to become the next president of the United States. Then one day news broke out that Hamilton had an affair and he paid people off to keep it quiet. As you can imagine, especially in those days, this scandal quickly destroyed any chance he had of becoming president. You know, these types of stories of prominent figures who spend most of their lives doing great things, but then risk it all because of one moment, these stories are very poignant. Stories are very sad, are they not? There are even stories like this that have happened recently within the church. And I think every time you hear of those stories, it's very disheartening. It's very, very sad. But I do think there are two different reactions that people have when they hear of a prominent figure who falls from grace. One reaction that you could have, you could say, wow, how were they willing to do this? How were they willing to risk it all because of one moment? What were they thinking? That's one reaction that you can have. The second reaction is you could say, wow, if they were capable of doing something like this, what about me? What about me? Now, why did I share this story? Well, the reason is because there is a king in the Bible who reminds me a lot of Hamilton and his name is King Asa. Now, just a a reminder in case you forgot, a thousand years before Jesus, before Jesus was born, there was King David. And after David died, his son Solomon took over the United Kingdom of Israel. After Solomon died, as you might remember, there were all kinds of conflict. And so this united kingdom divided into how many kingdoms? Two, right? So you have the northern kingdom, typically referred to as Israel. And then you have the southern kingdom, typically referred to as Judah. Now, where does Asa fit in all of this? Well, do you remember Jeroboam and Rehoboam? They ruled over these two kingdoms. Rehoboam's son was Abijah and Abijah's son was Asa. And so that is where we are today. But before we jump into King Asa's story, before we read our text, we need to lay some groundwork in order to properly understand the context and to see where this story fits in the narrative of the Bible. So just quick background on 2 Chronicles. If you've ever followed any type of Bible reading plan before, once you get to this section of the Bible, Chronicles and Kings, 
This seems to be one of the most neglected sections in the Bible. Have you ever, have you ever wondered why that is? Well, one of the reasons is because there's so many genealogies, so many difficult names to pronounce. And it seems like the stories, they just keep repeating themselves over and over again. But why is that? One of the reasons is because Second Chronicles is a book that is retelling stories that happened 500 years in the past. And it's being written to a group of people who were living after the exile. And they were coming into a situation that is marked by disappointment and opposition. Essentially, this is what they were wondering. God's people, they were wondering, is God still for us? Does God still care about us? Now, church, I don't know where you all are this morning, but inevitably there might be some of you, you might be wondering the same exact question. Is God still for me? Does God still care about me? Let's face it. If you turn on the news for five minutes, what do you see? Do you see things that encourages your soul? Do you see things that bolsters your faith? No, we see discouragement, right? We see our world seems like it's on fire right now. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of hope. But one of the things that we're gonna find this morning, Lord willing, is that God, there is hope for us and God wants us to have hope. And we're gonna find out where that hope is found. So this morning will basically be a, a message about missions, but not in the way that you would expect. This is basically gonna be a message about how to prepare our hearts for God's mission. So back to our text. We have the chronicler, who is the author of this book. He begins writing to these individuals, recounting their history in a way that teaches them about the faithfulness of God. So as I mentioned, the books of Kings and Chronicles, they have a lot of the same stories. A lot of them repeat themselves. So what's the difference between Kings and Chronicles? Well, First and Second Kings covers both the Northern and the Southern Kingdom. But First and Second Chronicles is unique because it is exclusively focused on the Southern Kingdom, Judah. Why is that? Another important difference, we'll get to that. The author of First and Second Kings, he was highlighting the unfaithfulness of man. But the chronicler, the author of First and Second Chronicles, he was highlighting the faithfulness of God. And not only the faithfulness of God, but the faithfulness of God through the lineage of King David. So why is that important? Remember, who is this being written to? Being written to exiles. And where were they from? The Southern Kingdom, same as David. Another interesting thing to point out is the promise that God made to David. Do you remember that promise? If we don't remember this promise in 2 Samuel, this story in Chronicles is not going to make a lot of sense to us. So, 2 Samuel 7, God promised that he will establish his kingdom through David and said that his kingdom will last how long? Forever, right? An incredible promise from God. And true to that prophecy, if you follow the kings of Judah, there was always a descendant of David on the throne until what happened? Until Babylon showed up and exiles the people to Babylon. So you have to put yourself in their shoes. God's people, they start to wonder, did the armies of Babylon have the power to destroy God's plans? Did they have the power to make God a liar? And so this speaks to the anguish, the anxiety that this audience was feeling. To them, it almost seemed like God was not coming through for his people. To them, it almost seemed like God was dropping the ball. Think about it. There is no king now. 
So why would the author of this book think that his retelling of the Davidic line would make any difference in the life of his audience? Why would he do this? Well, the answer is that the author of 2 Chronicles has two major purposes for writing this book. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, it's to highlight the faithfulness of God. And number two, remember that promise? The promise of God establishing his eternal kingdom through David. Guess what? It has not yet been fulfilled. So believing in the faithfulness of God was essential for them to have hope for the one that God promised to send to save his people. And this gives us greater insight into the purpose of the Old Testament. Now, if I asked you, what was the purpose of the Old Testament? Or what are some themes that we see throughout the entire Old Testament? How would you answer that? One way I would answer that, I would say, one of the themes that you see throughout the entire Old Testament is failure. Failure over and over and over again. How do we know, how do we know this? Well, look at who God chose to lead his people. Three different types of leaders that God chose. Prophets, priests, and kings. So who were the prophets? Remember, they were supposed to be God's messengers. But oftentimes, they didn't listen to God. And this left the people longing for a better prophet. Next, priests. They were supposed to represent God on the, on the behalf of the people. But how did that turn out? Well, they failed, right? And this left the people longing for a better priest. And then lastly, kings. And you might say, well, finally, they got it right. Wrong. They, you could argue they were the worst of them, right? Ultimately, they weren't good enough. And how did this leave the people? Longing for a better king. And I love 2 Chronicles so much because it does an amazing job at helping us anticipate and long for the true and better king, King Jesus. So one last thing. In Romans 15, 4, the Apostle Paul helps us to basically how to interpret the Old Testament. Romans 15, 4, the Apostle Paul says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, that means the things that were written in the Old Testament, they were written for our learning, that we through patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Why is this important? Well, here in Romans, Paul says the Old Testament was given to us for two reasons. Number one, for our learning. This means that the Old Testament does tell us how to live and it does tell us how not to live. But unfortunately, many Christians today, we make the mistake of just focusing on this purpose, right? We say things like, what does this passage say about me? And what do I need to do as a result? And unfortunately, this leads us to make every passage about us and not God. And friend, this is not how we're supposed to read the Bible. Why is that? Because the Bible is a book first and foremost about who? About God. And so this brings us to the second point, and we can't miss this. As I mentioned earlier, we are desperate for hope in today's world, are we not? And this is what Paul said, number two, to give us hope. So as we, this means everything written in the Old Testament was written for our instruction. So inevitably, our passage this morning, it's going to tell us things to do, things not to do. But it's also going to give us hope. So as we study Asa's life, let's keep these two purposes in mind. It's going to tell us what to do, what not to do but it's also going to give us hope. So who was King Asa? Well, Asa became king shortly after the division and he served king of Judah for 41 years. 
And almost all of those years were wonderful. I mean, God blessed Asa and God used Asa in some incredible ways. He was one of the better kings of Judah for about 35 years. And then something happened that made Asa change. So to find out what happened, please go to 2 Chronicles. Let's go to verse 1. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 1. In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So what does this mean? This means that Asa, he's being threatened by this guy named Baasha, who was king of the northern kingdom. And as a result, get this, Asa makes a huge mistake. What did he do? He trusted in man and not in God. Look at verse two. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus. So this is important because what was the first thing that came into King Asa's mind when he was facing an impossible threat? What was the first thing? Money and a political alliance. No thought of God, no thought of reaching or calling out to God for help. Money and a political alliance. So, we find out from the scriptures, he takes the money from the house of the Lord and he gives it to the king of Syria. King of Syria takes the money in exchange, breaks the covenant that Syria had with Baasha and he starts attacking them until they back off and they're no longer a threat to Asa's kingdom. And this is important because from the outside looking in, guess what happened? It makes it look like Asa saved the day. From the outside looking in, Asa's brilliant tactical plan resulted in him saving the kingdom. So it worked, right? At least from the outside looking in. So one obvious lesson that we can learn here is that when you stop trusting God and you start trusting in yourself, you start relying on your resources, guess what can happen for a while? It can work. It can really, really work only for a while. And from the outside looking in, this is exactly what it seemed like. It seemed like Asa's plan worked. But God did not see it that way. Look at verse seven. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. So God says that Asa actually gave the kingdom away because he trusted in himself more than he trusted in God. In other words, God was saying, Asa, if you would have just come to me for help, I would have saved you. I would have delivered you. But Asa did not do that. Regardless, God in his graciousness and in his kindness, he even sends him a prophet to allow Asa to repent. This prophet, as we see in verse seven, Hanani, he wanted to remind Asa of all the amazing things that God did through him when he was trusting God with all his heart. Because remember, who are we? we're talking about a great king here. We're talking about a king who did great things for God for 35 years. And this is what, this is what Hanani says in verse eight. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. So what is he talking about? He's referring to something that happened earlier in Asa's reign, earlier in chapter 14. His kingdom came under attack by the Ethiopians and they were in big trouble 
Because the Ethiopian's army at the time, they had over a million soldiers. Asa's army was only half that size. So they were huge underdogs in this fight. So to find out what happened, let's actually go there real quick. Second Chronicles 14, we're going to look at verses 11 and 12. What I want us to try to do this morning is to notice a contrast that we see in Asa's behavior from chapter 14 to chapter 16. We already came to the, to the story a little bit late, right? We, we saw what happened at the end of his life when he stopped trusting God, when he stopped relying on God with all of his heart. What did he turn to in those moments when he was facing a possible situation? Money and a political alliance. But let's, let's try to find out what he used to be like when he was trusting God with everything that he had. Second Chronicles 14, 11 and 12. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name, we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah and the Ethiopians fled. So church, what happened? What was the first thing that Asa did when he was facing an impossible situation? Was it money? Was it a political alliance? No, he called out to God for help. He was wholly reliant on God. But as we find out somewhere along the way, at the beginning of chapter 16, even after seeing God do impossible things with the Ethiopians, even after leading Judah through revival, for some reason, Asa stopped trusting God. So how does Asa respond to this prophet? Now you can go back to 2 Chronicles 16 and we'll, we'll start in verse 10. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. And Asa in the 30 and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease, he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians and died in the one and 40th year of his reign. So as you can see, he did not take it well. And Asa did not repent. And essentially he died in disgrace. What a sad story, right? What an incredibly sad story. So this begs the question though, how is it possible for someone who achieved so much, for someone who experienced God's power and God's blessing in their life, how is it possible for that type of person to fall? Church, the, the only way that we can answer that question is to say the Christian life, it's not about us and it's not about our achievements or, or our experience, right? As long as we are living with the sinful flesh, there is never going to be a moment that we will not need God. We have to understand that we don't ever reach a point in the Christian life where we can just coast and take it easy. No, as long as we're living with the sinful flesh, we will always need the grace of God every waking moment. So what does this mean for us today? How can we apply this passage? How can we apply Asa's story in our life? Well, what we see is as a result of Asa's rebellion, the author of this book, he's giving us some insight into the faithfulness of God. Now, remember, 
The purpose of this book is not just to tell Asa's story that was already done in 1 Kings. No, the, the purpose of, of this story, the purpose of this book is to tell this, this post-exiled group of people Asa's story, but through a different lens, the lens of God's faithfulness. He was giving his audience hope. So to find out what that hope is, let's go to 2 Chronicles 16, and we're gonna camp out in verse nine this morning. So I don't know about you, church, but does anyone else need hope this morning? I know I need some hope. So let's find the hope that the Lord has for us. Verse nine. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So the first thing, this brings us to our first point this morning. Number one, God is willing to give us his strong support. So I want us to focus on the first half of this verse. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. So first of all, we have to ask the question, how is this passage, how is this verse, how is it describing God? Real quick, what do we find out about God from this verse? Is this describing our God as someone who is passive? As someone who is absent from the affairs of his people? No, it says for the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. So here it shows that our God is an active God actively looking to help his people. So this means actually to answer our question from earlier this morning, God actually does care about us. God actually is there for us. God is for us. God does want our very best. So, but we do have to remember the context of this passage though. God's people, they've returned from exile. They're not sure if God is still on their side. However, the chronicler here, He's making it clear in this passage that God is never withholding his strength from us. He is willing to help us. In other words, God is not done with us yet. God lives to display his glory. So now the question is, who is he willing to give his strong support to? Because verse nine, uh, there's a condition in this verse. Is there not? God is willing to give us his strong support but who is he willing to give it to? Is it anybody or is it a certain type of person? So let's find. We find out with our second point this morning. Number two, God is looking for blameless hearts. Or according to our verse, God is looking for perfect hearts. It says, in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Now, I don't know about you, church, but this phrase makes me a little nervous because uh, when I think of my heart, the adjective that I would use would not be perfect. I don't know about you guys. Maybe some of you have perfect hearts, but that's the last word I would use to describe my heart. So is that what God is saying? No. God, when, when you think of the word perfect, it's important to understand that this word does not mean sinless, right? An, another way you can think about this word is think of the word whole or completely his and because of the context of this passage, the best phrase would probably be something like holy reliant. So what does this mean? God is looking for all in hearts. So let's read that verse with this phrase in mind. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is holy reliant toward him. So what do you think, church? Is, is this more realistic now? Is this something that we can actually accomplish now? Praise the Lord, yes. So we have, to, we have to answer the question, why is it important that we understand it this way? Well, it's because this is a clear and obvious contrast 
to King Asa. The author is doing something very intentional here. He's trying to warn us, don't be like Asa. Don't trust in yourself. Don't rely on your resources. And so this will lead you to ask, well, what if my heart is not all in for him? What if I'm not trusting God like I need to? And church, that's a question that we all need to wrestle with this morning. We all need to ask ourselves, are we trusting in God completely? Or are there some areas in our life where we're not utterly and completely dependent on him? And church, I'd, I'd venture to say that one of our biggest problems that we face every day is that we think that we don't need God. Of course, we would never admit to that, right? Because that sounds really, really bad. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think our actions prove this. Do they not? Think about every time that you wake up in the morning. How long does it take you until you cry out to God for his enablement to get you through the day? What about the things that make you worry? The things that make you anxious? The things that are just prone to give you an anxiety? How much time do you spend thinking about those things? What about the problems in your life that you try to fix on your own, through your own effort, through, through your own ability? Here's a question. When you think about your finances, what races through your mind? Is it all about you? What you have done or what you haven't done? The success that you've had in your life or the lack thereof? Does it cause you to feel despair or pride? By, way, by the way, both of these feelings, despair and pride, they're both sinful. Why? Because they are both symptoms of a heart that isn't wholly reliant on God. So when it comes to our finances or, or any area of our life, we all need to adopt an attitude of total dependence on God. Regardless of your socioeconomic status, the heart posture for the Christian is total dependence on God. So God is calling us this morning to be completely dependent on him in every area of our life. So what does this look like? to renounce self-reliance. Because that's essentially what the author is calling us to do this morning, to renounce our self-reliance. What does it look like? Well, I want to direct our attention back to Asa when he was trusting God with all of his heart. Notice his prayer, 2 Chronicles 14, 11 and 12. I'll read it for us real quick. Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name, we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. What about Psalm 51 verse 10? Who is the author of Psalm 51? David, right? And I think it's very fitting that we reference this verse because of David's connection to the chronicler, to the book of 2 Chronicles. David even said this in Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Church, are you starting to understand what it's going to take to renounce our self-reliance? Lastly, consider the example of Jesus, who when he was assaulted by Satan in Matthew 4.4, 4, he, he did not rely upon himself, although he certainly had every opportunity to do so. But rather, what did he do? He turned in humble dependence to the scriptures. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So 
The believer who humbly trusts in the word of God lives with the resources of grace that are capable of sustaining faith, both in the good times and in the bad times. All of that to say, the act of bringing our hearts to God and asking him to cleanse us, that is what it means to be all in. That is what it means to be completely dependent on him in every area of our life. So the reason why I share the history of Second Chronicles and where it fits in the narrative of scripture is because if you zoom out from this story, we begin to see how this passage is causing us to want a better king. The author of Second Chronicles, he was sharing this version of the story to remind his audience that God is still for them. And what was this supposed to do? This was supposed to cause them to hope and long for a better king, Jesus Christ. And church, we are privileged today because we don't have to long for Christ like they did. Amen. Why is that? Because he already came, right? He lived the perfect sinless life that we could not live. He died the sacrificial death on the cross that we had no chance of accomplishing on our own. And then what did he do three days later? He conquered sin and the grave by resurrecting. So this truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should be a constant reminder that leads us to repent of our self-reliance. Why is that? Because the good news of the gospel, it teaches us that we are able to rest and trust in what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. But if this truth, the truth of the gospel, if it leads you into thinking that you just need to work harder for God's acceptance or for God's recognition, or if it causes you to never rely on God for his enabling work in your life, then friend, you don't understand the gospel. And if that is you, I encourage you today to repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us that, that are believers, that are in Christ, the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, it should shape us into people who are constantly relying on God's grace every waking moment. He is all we have. He is all we need. In closing, number one, God is looking for hearts that are completely reliant on him. How does this happen again? Only Jesus can cleanse our hearts. So if you're wondering, what about me? Is there any hope for me? Friend, if we are empty and we are needy, then guess what? We are a perfect match for his grace. Number two, let's never forget that we are not in this battle alone. Doesn't matter how scary our life is, how scary this world becomes. If we have Jesus and if he truly resurrected, if he truly rose from the grave, everything is going to be okay. We are on the winning side. God is more than willing to give us his strong support. Now, last question. How does this apply to missions? I mentioned that this message is, uh, has to do with preparing our hearts for God's mission. How does it do this? Well, Remember the commandment that God gave us, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, to go into all the world, preach the gospel to those who've never heard, make disciples of all nations. Guess what? How do you think God wants us to accomplish that task? Through self-reliance, through just giving more money to missions, through just sharing the gospel with more people. You know, although some of those things are really good things, that's not where we start. Where do we start? 
we start by checking our hearts. Are we wholly reliant on God in every area of our life? Or are there still some areas where we are trusting in self a little too much? So once we get that settled, the alpha of this truth, it should cause us to take mission seriously because we know that God is more than willing to give us his strong support. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com.